Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Life on Earth podcast. And today's show, we are going to hang out and talk to Henri False. He is an Ayurveda counselor, has put so much effort and so many years into this beautiful discipline and has the sister science of yoga. And he has studied in California, among many other places, with some fantastic people. He has an amazing practice. He has been a contributor to my teacher training, yoga teacher training, Ashanti Yoga Shala. And he has so many jewels to offer and so many tools. Ayurveda is very holistic. It's a complete system. It goes right in hand with yoga or really any other practices that you have. It is just a great and a fantastic all-around life enhancement tool. So I'm here today and I'm very excited to sit with you. I'm excited to bring you through this episode and hope that you stay with me towards the end all the way through because there's so much to learn from Anhi. And if it feels it's too much information, go back to it. Go back to it a week later, whenever you want, or you know, next month, or even two days. Listen to it another time. Listen to it three times if you need to. Also, if you want to help the show, please share this episode with someone that you love and who this episode might benefit their life. As I said, there's so much that we are sharing here, and he has really been amazing with all of his kind of knowledge to share this with us and our community. We're going to go into the doshas. What are those? We're going to go into ghee. There's a lot of talk about ghee nowadays. And so um, why is it important? What kind of ghees are we looking for? We're going to go into oils, into massages such as abhyanga. We're going to talk about panchakarma and talk about observing the changes of the seasons, which I'm a big fan, eating seasonal uh, foods, cleanses from an Ayurveda perspective, and then his practice and what is it that he can offer or an Ayurveda practitioner can offer. And he sees clients online on Skype, so this is very easy. He can do Skype videos with you. I'm telling you, since I have been introduced to Ayurveda and I've really been implementing these changes in my life, I have seen so many benefits. It's time. It's time. Okay. It's time that we embrace wellness from all angles and every aspect. This way we can, again, change ourselves and from there We can heal ourselves and our planet. So thank you for joining me. If you had the opportunity, go back to episode 42. I am offering you a meditation, give and take about 10 minutes. I guide you through it. It's a very simple, very effective tool. We go back to the breath. We observe the mind. And it's really a lot of clearing. And anytime that I'm doing any sharing, I always send in some energy healing and healing lights. So hopefully you'll feel the frequencies and the vibration changing your whole atmosphere. And I really want to see all of the blockages being removed and bringing so much light into your life. So that way you can extend that into everyone around you. Give us a really good review on iTunes. I fully appreciate it. I appreciate your time. So this way I can continue to create more amazing content for you. Keep an eye on patreon.com, Natalie Kra. 
because I have uh, three tiers that I'm about to really develop and going to be offering a lot of exclusive content to our listeners through Patreon. So that's something that I'm excited about. I've already started creating content for it. It's just a matter of putting it all together and up. And if you like to finally go a little deeper into all of this work that I do, I've had my Shanti Yoga Shala school now for probably seven years. Before that, I've managed um, studios and worked as a yoga teacher for, I guess, almost 20 years now. So there's a lot of... uh, a lot that I have put together and I have a lot of my manuals and online courses. So if you want to dive deeper, I have a life coaching program. It's called Light Code and there are three levels. And th- this is the, the, the program that I really implement all of these things, which sometimes I take into retreat. We actually had a retreat on it maybe seven months ago in Oregon, when we went deep into every concept. And we incorporate anywhere, anything from tea ceremony to looking at how you're eating holistically, how's your environment affecting you, energy healing, forest bathing, grounding, the chakra system, yoga to really suits you. All sessions are done via Skype. I mentioned there are three ways to take this course, this program. There are three different levels. And each level includes uh, X amount of sessions with me, plus an online platform with so much that you sort of do on your own with my guidance. All sessions are done via Skype. So no matter where you live on the globe, on the planet, we can make this happen. You're interested in that program? I highly encourage you to reach out to me. My email, the best one to reach out to me at the moment, I mean today, will be shantiyoganola at gmail.com. I will include that on show notes. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Anri, and I will see you then. Welcome to Life on Earth, the Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace, and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi, Henri. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Uh, hi, how are you? Henri Foss, right? Yes. <laughs> well, Beautiful. Th- thank you so much for joining Life on Earth podcast today. Um, I'm super happy to have you on this episode and to, you know, share your story and Ayurveda with our listeners is something that I truly love and I'm very passionate about. So I just wanted to say I appreciate your time and you sharing your knowledge and your story with us on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me to do this. I'm very excited about it. I've never been on a podcast before, so this is a first for me. And um, I think it's a great opportunity. So thank you. Cool. So you, just for everyone that's listening, you have contributed to my yoga teacher trainings as well. And you've, I think you came in my, one of my trainings and you gave a lecture. I was trying to think if it was a 200 or 300 hour, I don't remember, but it was, you gave a lecture and that was really nice. And everyone got a lot out of that too. That's right. You know, I'm trained as a yoga teacher. And uh, when I did my second training, the 300 hour one, actually both 
both of the yoga trainings I did included a unit on Ayurveda. So that was actually how I first learned about Ayurveda. And then I subsequently, of course, did a, a training specifically in Ayurveda through the California College of Ayurveda. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, well, and then I also, just for everyone to know that our connection, I the way I met you, it was that I went to one of your lectures. You were giving a lecture in New Orleans, and I went, and that's how we first connected. And then I started receiving some of your emails, and you know, then we kind of connected like that, and you came to Shanti Yoga Shala. So you, you're saying you were first introduced to Ayurveda, from a yoga training and then can you tell me tell us well first why don't we start with you telling our listeners like so now now what is what do you do like are you you know are you not you're not an ayurveda doctor yet are you like you see patients right i'm not an ayurvedic doctor no i'm an ayurvedic health counselor Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means that I work with people on a lifestyle basis. So we will use diet and lifestyle primarily. So I'll I look at the the what foods people are eating and help to make small incremental changes with them to improve their diet and also the way that they eat, which we consider to be almost as important or as important as what you eat. So creating a space around your mealtime that makes it something that is special, even sacred. Mindfulness is something that is a, a big word in our culture right now. And so in Ayurveda, we try to bring that awareness to the process of eating so that we create a container around the meal where we begin with a moment of silence or saying grace. And then we have a pause at the end of the meal. And during between those two pauses, we try to focus on the meal to not be distracted by television or your iPhone so that you really are focusing on taking in this food and that way it will be well digested by your body and nourish you the best way that it can. Yeah, I love that concept of not just the food and the health of the whole foods and of course non-organic and non-GMOs and stuff, but we talk a lot about that, but also the the quality of you know the moment that you actually ingest that and put that in your system and the what you are speaking to the quality of that environment that's so so important you know so important and yes. and many times uh forgotten at least in our western culture so okay i just wanted to understand so that the listeners and everyone in the community who's joining us today and thanks everyone for tuning in wherever you are we're saying Hi to you, and just to get an idea of you know who they're listening to and what you do. So you see patients now, correct? Yes, that's right. I do Ayurvedic consultations. It's we meet on a weekly basis over time. Typically, I do them out of my home here, so I have a space in the front of my house that is for consultations. I can also do them via Skype, like this Skype call that we're doing here, and. It begins with an in-depth assessment of that person's complete health state. So, you know, what are they eating and how are they eating and when are they getting up in the morning and when are they going to bed at night and what their practices are around 
around sleep, what their energy level is, what kinds of symptoms they're experiencing, especially in terms of digestion, what's going on in terms of their mind. You know, are they feeling anxious? Do they have anger? Are they under a lot of stress because of what's going on at work or with their family or whatever? And we try to find practices that are going to bring some peace and wellness to that person. So it's an individualized program of treatment that I will develop with that person in collaboration. Okay, so before we go kind of deeper into that aspect of it, I really want to give everyone a good, well-rounded knowledge of this sister science of yoga, Ayurveda. And also, but before we go even into that, I would love to get more of your story. So how do you, so how, what happened? So you were in this training and then you fell in love with this part of the training and you decided to go to, you went to California? Well, so it's a, it's a long story and I'm happy to share it. You know, it goes all the way back to when I was in college. I started practicing yoga at that time. And although my major in college was applied math, I had a lot of other diverse interests. So I was taking classes in things like medical anthropology, taking classes in botany and plant ecology. I was very interested in, in medicinal plants at that time. I did a summer ethnobiology class in Costa Rica where we visited the indigenous peoples of Costa Rica and learned about their medicinal plants. And I subsequently went back for my master's research and lived on a a farm there on an indigenous reserve, learning about the plants and collecting them with a local healer there. Wow, that's amazing. How long did you live in that farm for? It was fairly brief. I wish I had had more time, but I was only there for a few weeks. Wow, but that's fantastic. But it was, you know, certainly a a great experience for me that I still am very grateful to have had. And so I had this interest in in healing practices from around the world already. And like I said, I was also practicing yoga at that time and taking classes on on Hindu, Hindu mythology and philosophy. How old were you around that time? Well, I was a college student, so I was about 20, 21 at that time. Okay, so you started quite young. Yeah, and so then I came out to California, and I was doing a PhD in evolutionary biology, continuing with my interests in in plant ecology in particular. And at that time, I decided that you know, I needed to have something else going on that would give me a break from my academic studies. So I decided to do a, a yoga teacher training program at the local yoga studio that I was practicing at. And it was a really wonderful little program, Laughing Lotus in San Francisco. Very heartfelt teaching where, you know, we read the Yoga Sutras together, we read the Bhagavad Gita together, and they really bring together all of the different aspects of yoga. So about half of it was the yoga asanas, and the other half was everything else. And that did include the Ayurvedic component as well. Later on, a couple of years after that, I was living down in Southern California in Irvine, and I did a training at Yoga Shakti there. Mm-hmm. And the director of that studio, who was the teacher for the training, she had trained as an Ayurvedic practitioner at the California College of Ayurveda. So that was where I first heard about that program. And she really brought in a lot of Ayurveda that was very important to her mm-hmm. in the way that she did her training so that we were we had to work with a patient doing yoga therapy. Mm-hmm. And we had to write a paper on 
how we would bring in Ayurvedic principles with the yoga therapy that we're doing to address a particular condition. Okay. So while the focus was it was a yoga program, she was bringing in a lot of Ayurveda. And then a couple of years after that, I met someone who really inspired me. His name is uh, Prashanti Dejager, and he founded Organic India, which is the company that sells those Tulsi teas that you can find in groceries pretty much everywhere now. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I've seen them. Yeah, they're, they're pretty common. So he's... He's a great guy. I met him at a yoga festival, and he he looked at me, and he could see from now I know that he was looking at sort of the the tone of my skin on my face. But he just said, "You know, have you had your liver checked out?" <laughs> and I, it's like that's really random. I just met you, and you're asking me about my liver. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't aware of any problems with my liver at the time, but then I went to see a doctor who is actually, he's an MD and he's also an Ayurvedic practitioner. So he has both trainings and he, we did a lab test for liver and sure enough, I had elevated liver enzymes. And so I started working with him then on treating those liver conditions with herbs. And he actually, he also, you know, this is one of the reasons that it's very good to see someone with proper training instead of just dabbling on your own. Because at that time, I was dabbling in Ayurveda on my own at that point and taking a lot of different herbs. And he thought that some of those herbs that I was taking actually might be causing, making the liver problem worse. So he took me off of all the herbs that I was taking at the time. And then we started to kind of slowly build up my herbal regimen again from scratch. Yeah. Okay. So I did get a little ahead of myself there. Um, well, no, I, I was just thinking, I'm glad that you mentioned, um, I, I, was, I wanted to get into that at some point, the proper training, because, I mean, after, maybe after we, you were going to explain the, uh, hopefully we'll talk about the doshas and the quality and all that, but, you know, there's so many places that you can even go like online to take a quick test and find out your qualities or whatever and I just find that sometimes people don't understand that this is something that you know this Ayurveda science something that there's a lot of a lot of devotion a lot of study with people like yourself and some of other people that I've met I have friends who are Ayurveda doctors who have put many years into this it's not just you know something that yeah, you can read a book and try to figure it out, but I think that it's really valuable to see someone like you. Absolutely. You know, I so as I was saying, I was I was very inspired by this man Prashanti. I, he does like weekend workshops, and then I started going to his classes, but I wasn't getting the full picture. You know, the little weekend classes are great; they can get you inspired about a topic, mm-hmm. but it, that's not enough to really go deep and to learn a topic. So I started looking at the different schools that are offering Ayurvedic programs, and I did choose the California College of Ayurveda because they have a very strong reputation for having a very in-depth program. It's three years just to become an Ayurvedic health counselor, which is wow. that's the, the level that I trained at. Yeah. And that's just the first level. You know, mm-hmm. there are more advanced trainings after that. If you become a clinical Ayurvedic specialist, then you can get more into the using herbal medicines to address specific diseases and conditions. And you can become a Panchakarma specialist. Panchakarma is the 
method of cleansing that we use in Ayurveda. It's a very strong method of cleansing, not something that you should try at home without proper <laughs> training. I have done a home panchakarma, but I had I had the training to do it and I was working with with a doctor who was, you know, I was consulting with. So it can be a great thing to do a home panchakarma and it makes it more affordable, but you definitely need to know what you're doing. Yeah, but if possible, definitely in a clinical setting, I think it's the best. It is, yes. Unfortunately, if you're in this country, in the United States, it can be very ex- expensive. Um, and why that's why. Yeah. I, why yeah. If you don't mind. Okay, so then you went and did that, and then you got back to New Orleans. I wanted to ask you, if you had to, to say somebody's listening and they've never heard of Ayurveda, what would be a, a brief description? What is Ayurveda? Sure. Ayurveda is the holistic medicine system that comes from India. It's quite ancient, over 2,000 years old. And it, as you mentioned at the beginning of this talk, it's the sister science of yoga. So in the ancient times in India, Ayurveda and yoga were being practiced together in addition to meditation. Of course, meditation is part of yoga. Often in this country, when we talk about yoga, we're thinking of the asana practice, the poses poses of yoga. So the poses of yoga, the meditative practices, and the health practices of Ayurveda together, those three form a complete body-mind-spirit practice. And the Ayurvedic practitioners and, and other yogis who came later, such as the Hatha Yoga movement, they had a very body positive approach to spirituality, which is something that I personally think is very important, that there are there are elements of spirituality that seek to escape from the physical world or transcend this physical world. And then there are other traditions that look to find spirituality in the physical world. And Ayurveda is more in alignment with that latter view that sees health and strengthening your body as actually fundamental to spiritual life. And so that's why the Hatha yogis were practicing all of these yoga asanas and why they were also practicing Ayurveda. Some of your listeners may know about Krishnamacharya. He is really the founder of what we think of as, as modern yoga in this country. He was the teacher of Iyengar. He was the teacher of Patabi Joyce, who started Ashtanga Yoga. And so Krishnamacharya is, of course, someone that I have incredible reverence for. And he was an Ayurvedic practitioner as well as a yoga practitioner. So he would see clients in his home and he would offer them healing through both yoga practices and also through Ayurveda. So that is really, that's the traditional way that it was always done in India. And that's what I try to do with my practice here. This, you know, I have people come to my home and we, we sit and we talk and I learn about what's going on in their lives and the challenges that they're facing. And I make suggestions that I think will be helpful to them and that are small changes that they can actually implement in their lives. So it has to be realistic. It has to be something that is approachable. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a very complete, like a very whole way of approaching, you know, someone who's really trying to 
change, to transform, to get to the next level, body, mind, spirit, like you said, you mentioned Krishna Marchaya, like he would approach someone as a yoga teacher. Okay, here's your, your, the asanas are almost like a prescription, you know, in that, in that sense. And then let's look Absolutely. at what's going on in your life too and change and here are the things that you can eat. So that brings us to maybe, I don't know if you want to now perhaps explain how they look at the three different doshas and what are the doshas? Sure. Uh, so the doshas are very fundamental concepts in Ayurveda. They are the things that go out of balance, and then we try to bring them back into balance. So everything that we do in Ayurveda is in one way or another about balancing these doshas. And the concept of the doshas are based on the five elements. So the first dosha that we have is vata. It's based on the elements of air and space. And so it is the dosha that is associated with anxiety and excess movement, excess information. So when you feel overwhelmed, that's a sign that vata is out of balance. Mm. And vata is actually the of the three doshas. It's the one that tends to go out of balance the most. And that as Ayurvedic practitioners, we work on vata dosha quite a lot. So because Vata dosha is an excess of energy and movement. We try to bring calm and peace and stillness to counteract vata dosha. Okay. It's the most commonly to go out because our modern life is so fast paced and high intensity that it tends to drive vata out of balance. The next dosha is pitta. Pitta is based on the fire element predominantly. So in terms of your digestion, it would be those conditions of hyperacidity, acid reflux, heartburn, burning indigestion, ulcers, anything that is kind of would indicate that there's too much heat and too much fire in your digestive system. In terms of the mind, pitta dosha is associated with anger, jealousy, resentment, those heated emotions. So whereas vata is uh, a cold dosha, so when you feel afraid, when you feel stressed or anxious, you're more likely to feel cold. But when you feel anger or shame or embarrassment, you're more likely to feel hot. And so when, anytime you're feeling hot, that's a sign that pitta dosha is out of balance. So if I have a client who comes in and I can see that you know, their work environment is very stressful and they are having conflicts with their family members or their coworkers, there's a lot of anger there, then I would work on things that are cooling. Mm-hmm. And a high-intensity, high high-stress high type career, like for example, if you're a lawyer, that would have a tendency to throw your pitta dosha out of balance. So we would work with cooling things like peppermint tea is a cooling tea and cooling breathing exercises that are going to be soothing to pitta dosha, foods that are cooling. um, I mean, and then sense even the yoga practice needs to take that kind of turn too because so many of the postures can be so much heat building. That's true. You do have to be careful with that. 
the yoga practitioners are very much about fire. You know, they love fire. Agni is fire. And tapas is the heat that the yogi generates through their discipline and their intensity of practice. And that fire has the ability to burn away the illusions and the the limitations that we place on ourselves. So fire is a metaphor that is used a lot in yoga as a positive thing for bringing about change. Fire is the power of transformation, and yoga is a transformative practice. So yoga harnesses that fire. It harnesses that power of transformation. But fire obviously is dangerous. Fire burns, right? So in Ayurveda, we want to bring balance. We want to have balanced fire. We like fire because it's it's also the digestive fire that we need to, to digest our food, and it's that fire of transformation. We want to encourage fire, but in a way that's balanced. Otherwise, fire just goes out of control and is very destructive. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when you have, if you're doing a yoga practice without that awareness of balance and without understanding that Ayurvedic context, it can actually be somewhat dangerous. You know, you can overdo it. If you're practicing heated yoga on a daily basis and you're doing heating breathing practices like Kapalabhati, and let's say then you're going to your stressful job that's high intensity all the time, that is too much intensity to maintain and that will lead to burnout so that's why it is important to understand that Ayurvedic principle of balance. and Yeah, and when you talk support. like with the pita and the, I mean, I've even seen it sometimes it, it will manifest in like people's skin or, you know, to, you can tell like when somebody has too much fire, sometimes it manifests like on a physical level as well, you know, so. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so a red rash is a classic pitta, a pitta type manifestation symptom or sign and it's also associated with the liver right so when that ayurvedic practitioner said to me is you know have you had your liver checked right what he was seeing was he was looking at my skin and he was seeing redness in my skin and he was like aha this guy his pitch is out of balance and if his pitch is out of balance that probably means there's something going on with his liver the liver and the skin are very much connected and so he made that kind of guess that there was something yeah. about liver and then tell. we were able to confirm it medically with an yeah. enzyme test that is completely objective that's so so amazing you know it's almost like yeah sometimes it's just the west is catching up to the east kind of thing you know that's how i feel it's, it's great yes so then we got kapha yes the third dosha is kapha or kapha, kapha. to be to kapha. be if you really want to be uh Correct about your Sanskrit pronunciation. Can you, um, say, can you say that again? I do. I do want to be correct. Kappa. 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 Yes. Okay. But most people will just say kapha. So kappa is the earth and water element. It tends to, it likes to build tissue. It's very protective. And so kappa is associated with conditions of obesity and diabetes, if someone eats too much sweets, that is a classic lifestyle practice that would lead to a kappa imbalance. And not getting enough exercise would also lead to kappa. So with kappa, there's a, a low level of fire. And so one of the main practices, or rather, one of the main goals that you're doing when you're working with a, a client who has a kappa imbalance is bringing in more fire 
They need that fire. They need to get moving. They need to be doing like a vigorous yoga practice or some other kind of aerobic exercise. They need to be reducing the amount of the, what we call the sweet taste in Ayurveda. So they're, they're the six tastes in Ayurveda that are very fundamental to the Ayurvedic approach to diet. And the sweet taste is one that in our current parlance, we would say carbohydrates. You know, when people say that they're going on a low-carb diet, mm-hmm. that is what Ayurveda would recommend for someone with a kapha imbalance because the carbohydrates have that sweet taste to them. So you're reducing the sweet and you are using yoga practices and spices to bring about fire. So as an Ayurvedic health counselor, I don't work with those medical herbs, but I do work with digestive spices. And you can really do a lot with the digestive spices. You know, for a pitta, you're going to bring in spices that are cooling, like fennel, that soothe the digestion. With a kapha, you're bringing in those heating spices to increase their digestive fire. You're bringing in ginger, you're bringing in black pepper and other kind of hot spices. And I love, you know, I've loved doing Indian cooking for a long time and just cooking in general. And I love spices. When you're cooking vegetarian food, and Ayurveda does recommend a vegetarian diet, although it's not considered a requirement that you be vegetarian to practice Ayurveda. I myself am pescatarian, so I eat mostly vegetarian plus some seafood. Mm-hmm. But spices are especially important in a vegetarian diet because you can't rely on the meat for seasoning. You need to bring in those herbal spices. And that's why, you know, because India has has had a tradition of vegetarian cooking for a very long time and they have all these great spices there, they've really that culinary tradition that comes from India, which is actually very much based on Ayurvedic principles. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They really know how to use spices in India. So, with each set of doshas, there's also foods, right, that will go like with each ones that you're recommended to do or not, and things like that. Right. That's right. So in addition to the spices, there's the foods. For a pitta, you would want to eat cooling foods. So think about things like a cucumber, avocado that have a cool, soothing quality, like maybe a gazpacho soup that would be cooling. For vatas, you want things that are going to be warming and easy to digest. So vatas, because they have anxiety, they tend to have difficulty with digestion. They, they, they may find that they feel sort of like stomach cramping or something like that, or they have a lot of gas after they eat or bloating. So you want to have food that's very easy to digest. Soups are very good for vatas. And then for kaphas or kapas, as I was saying, you want to bring in those foods that are low in carbohydrates, low in the sweet taste. Okay. So when, you know, one question I think that comes up a lot is when we're talking about this is people think, well, which one am I and do they change throughout my life or can I be something and are you born with one? So how does that kind of principle work? I remember when I was in India, my first trip, I I did, I went to an Ayurveda doctor, I went to an Ayurveda clinic and I did this whole questionnaire and then he took my pulse and then we Mm -hmm. talked for a while and then, you know, at the time, he told me it was, it was two. There was two that were kind of the predominant ones. And then we, whatever we did from there on, 
it was all kind of based on that, you know, with the food, with everything that you're saying. But I guess just so people get a good understanding, is this like something that you are the rest of your life or is this changes throughout life? How does that work? It's a great question. And the answer is both because we have two distinct concepts that in Sanskrit are called Prakriti and Vikriti. And to break down those words, Prakriti means with creation. So that's something that is determined at the moment of your birth, and it will be the same throughout your life. So if you think about it from a scientific perspective, they're talking about your genetics. That's who you are, and it's not going to change. Your genetics won't change, and there's just fundamental aspects of who you are, like your body type. So a lot of those quizzes that you'll see online, for example, mm-hmm. are more looking at the prakriti, the body type, and that's something that, that, like I said, will not change over the course of your life. Okay. The other concept is vikruti, which means after creation, and that's your current state, and your vikruti is constantly in flux. Mm-hmm. So as things are going on in your life. It's changed by the seasons, for example. It's changed by just what's going on in your life. You know, like I mentioned, if you're under a lot of stress at work, that could send one of your doshas out of balance. It might send your pitta out of balance or it might send your vata out of balance. If you are in a place in your life where your things are very stagnant and sedentary, that could tend to put your kapha out of balance, even if that's not your prakriti. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that makes so, sense. Your prakriti, whichever of the three doshas is most prominent in your prakriti, that will be your tendency for that to go out of balance, but not necessarily. It could be another one of the doshas. As I mentioned, modern lifestyle tends to be particularly bad for vata dosha going out of balance. And so a lot of people have vata imbalances who are not necessarily vata type prakriti. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's is that why like a lot of times there's a combination of things going on. That's right. Okay, mm-hmm. it's okay. That makes sense. So you just spoke about something that I really have been embracing the past few years, and I feel like it's changed my life in for the better, which is observing the seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that the way I got into this more was through Ayurveda. You know, so I wanted to see from an Ayurveda perspective, how does that work and why is that important? In modern day, we are so much, I find in, you know, a lot of people here in at least the country I live in or in the West in air conditioning, locked spaces, or we have the heaters and we sometimes, you know, you get food from all over the world, you go to the supermarket I really encourage people to connect to farmer's market and to start learning your foods. But that, because there's a disconnection when, when we're not, you know, it, you can get into a mode that you just don't. Because I certainly can go back and, and remember a year that I was just kind of on the rat race and doing that, that I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that it was the season changing, you know, and the foods made no difference because I'm just getting all my stuff in the grocery anyways. So, and I have access to everything at all times, <laughs> which is kind of crazy, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I'd, I'd love to, there's a lot there to unpack. I'll start <laughs> by talking a little bit about the seasons. And I'd also like to come back to what you were talking about in terms of the local food. So with the seasons, 
as we go through the year, we have the Vata season in the fall and winter. So right now we're in the Vata season. It's cold, it's windy, and that will tend to have Vata go out of balance. And so in order to address that preventatively, Ayurveda is very much about prevention rather than just treating what's already happening. So I know, okay, it's Vata season, it's cold outside, and it's windy, my vata will tend to be elevated. So I am going to have a vata balancing diet. I'm going to eat a lot of root vegetables like sweet potatoes and carrots. I'm going to make a nice soup, you know, like maybe, a, well, sweet potato and carrot soup, for example, or any of the other root vegetables. Squash, like those winter squashes are also great for reducing vata. And so the crops that tend to be in season during a specific time of year, those also tend to be the things that are best for reducing that dosha. As you get into the spring, now it's the kapha season. The spring is tends to be the rainiest time of year, and that's so that increases the water element, and kapha is based on the water element. So in the spring, we're doing like our spring cleaning for our body. We want to tend to eat foods that are lighter and more cleansing. So you want to eat lots of leafy greens, and okra is a great one for you know those of us here in New Orleans. That's very good for reducing reducing a, a kapha. And then in the summertime, it's the pitta season because the fire element is at its peak. It's very hot in the summer, of course, and so that causes pitta to go out of balance. And so we're going to bring in those cooling foods that I mentioned, like the cucumbers, all of the berries and fruit that are in season during the summertime tend to be cooling and good for reducing pitta. So what I've been doing with my fiance, we, she's been helping me with starting a Crescent City Ayurveda from the beginning. And we really wanted to bring this concept of eating seasonally and eating locally to New Orleans and in a way that is accessible to people here in New Orleans. So we have this great tradition here of Creole cuisine. And she grew up learning that cooking tradition from her Grammy. And so when we started, we, you know, we would just naturally talk about Ayurveda. She has a, a digestive condition that she's struggling with. And so we were looking at a way to bring Ayurveda here for her, but also for the New Orleans community that would feel authentic to them. So that wouldn't be asking them to leave behind their Creole traditions that are that are so important to our identity here, but that would be more healthy and more in alignment with eating locally and eating seasonally. So we did an okra cooking class in the summertime. Okra is... It's one of those great tridoshic foods, actually. It's good for all of the doshas, in addition to being a classic New Orleans dish. You know, yeah. It has this sort of mucilaginous quality that is really good for soothing pitta and also good for vata. But it's a green at the same time, so it's good for kapha. It's it's just a great, great vegetable. So and it's in season during the yeah, summertime. Tridosha is when it goes across the board it's like a really good in many cases for most most of the doshas that's right that's mm -hmm. cool 
Yeah, I love that the work that you and your fiance are doing and these cooking classes and this and uh, you know, do you um do you per- so how do you do this? Is it like four times a year or how how many times do you offer the do you do it as a cleanse or do you do it as Our concept has been to do it four times a year. We've had uh some some obstacles like I mentioned, she does have this chronic condition and of course She's my fiance. We're getting married. We're planning a wedding right now. So some things have had to be delayed because of just the realities of life. But that that is our concept to have a one cooking class for each season so that we give people an example of a dish that is appropriate for that season. So now we're in the wintertime. Melaton is another really classic New Orleans vegetable that is is in season during the wintertime. And so we made a shrimp melaton curry that is absolutely delicious. We brought it to a holiday potluck last week and people just absolutely loved it. It's um, So it's based on a traditional New Orleans dish of melaton with shrimp, but we bring in the curry spices. So we're spicing it in a way that's more Ayurvedic, more, more Indian, but the ingredients are primarily local New Orleans vegetables that you can get at like the food co-op here or your farmer's market. Okay. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I love having, I also use those, I cook overnight, you know, the ve- like root vegetables in the winter, and mm-hmm. I find that so good. I, I, I love the stews and the root vegetables during the winter. Absolutely. It That's totally exactly what you're supposed to do. Me. Yeah, well, I learned that from yes. Ayurveda, and I started mm-hmm. just implementing these changes in my life. And what I have noticed is that a lot of things changed. I find myself with a lot more energy. I find myself, you know, just like I said, being aware of the changes in the seasons is just really kind of changed my whole outlook with my life and in this while I'm in this planet, you know, each and every day, which is really a beautiful thing. You learn so it's like an unlearning and then you learn, you know, so. Yeah, you mentioned having more energy and that is a real big one with with Ayurveda because I think our modern lifestyle can be exhausting. You know, so many people who do come to Ayurveda looking for healing, a lot of what they're struggling with is exhaustion. They're just kind of fried. They're they're worn out or they're burnt out. And if you're not eating well, if you're not digesting your food properly, then your body is putting a lot of energy into trying to digest your food and you're not getting the nourishment out of it that you need. So you're getting hit doubly there and it's really taxing for your energy and also sleep is so important you know i work with people on sleep a lot you do Uh, i am so passionate mm -hmm. about sleep i'm so passionate about sleep ariana huffington wrote Mm -hmm. i don't um, have you 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 heard about the book sleep revolution i have not oh she's the um, the creator of the the founder of the huffington post and i just Mm -hmm. i just i'm so I feel like sleep is so important. You know, can you can you speak to that more? What how do you work with your clients on that? Sure. So we talked about the cycle of the doshas throughout the seasons and there's also a cycle of doshas throughout the day. So the morning is the kapha time, the midday is the the pitta time when the sun is at its zenith, it's the hottest time, and then in the evening that's the vata time. And then at night, the cycle repeats again. So the early night is kapha, and then the middle of the night is pitta, and then the end of the night is vata again. Mm. So 
it just like we want to live in harmony with the seasonal cycles, we also want to live in harmony with those diurnal cycles. So Ayurveda would recommend that you actually wake up with the dawn, or if not slightly before dawn, and that way you're you're living your life in harmony with the motion of the sun. So going to bed early and getting up early are really key for Ayurveda. I don't necessarily insist that people are waking up before dawn. I'm, I don't like to be super hardline about things. I want things to be realistic and approachable for people. Yeah. But I do try to work with them to shift their sleeping earlier, if that's something that I identify is so an issue for them. what do you call early nowadays i get up at about seven o'clock so that is a little bit after dawn i'm no, not i mean i meant like going to bed early like oh early going, going to, to bed. bed well you really want to have eight hours of sleep okay. so if you are waking up at seven you want to be you know asleep by 11 o'clock yeah that makes sense so mm-hmm. you get the whole eight hours that's that's what i that's what feels right to me too yeah. i've heard some people say seven some people say nine but I, I is eight what Ayurveda recommends or around that? It's not a one size fits all recommendation. Yeah. I do think yeah. eight is a good rule of thumb. But yeah. you know, it also depends on your dosha. Kaphas actually need less sleep, and vatas need more sleep. So if you have a more ah, of a vata, you that might makes need sense. Yeah, if you have more of a vata imbalance going on, you might need even more than eight hours of sleep, especially if it's a severe debilitation. You know. Yeah. You might need to go through a period where you're resting a lot in order to get your strength back. If you're more of a kapha type, then you know waking up before dawn and doing yoga or going for a run or something is going to be really key, and getting a little bit less sleep might be okay. Yeah, I mean, so much healing happens when we're sleeping on so many levels. There's so much healing that happens when you're sleeping. There's so much research on this. I'm going to invite everybody to check out this book that I'm talking about. It's called The Sleep Revolution. And let me just make sure that's what the name is with Ariana Huffington. But let me see. There's, I'll also include it on the show notes, which this brings me to, I want to find out some uh, yeah, it's called The Sleep Revolution, Ariana Huffington. And I'll include that on the show notes because it's uh, it's worth it. She did a lot of research on it. There's so much research on sleep nowadays. Anyways, but this brings me to some books. Are there some, for someone who's like, okay, this is so fascinating. I'd like to get a good reader to, what, what would you, where would you guide us for that? <laughs> I really think that Mark Halperin's book, Healing Your Life, is the best introduction. There are some other good books out there that are great, but I don't think they're as approachable for someone who's brand new to Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. So when he wrote that book, Healing Your Life, he really wanted it to be something that was accessible for the general reader. You don't have to know anything about Ayurveda to read it. You can, you know, it's a good first book. And it's also very practical in the sense that he has exercises at the end of each chapter for things that you can do to start bringing Ayurveda into your life. And so the program that I offered last year was based on that book. That was something that, you know, I was trained in how to offer this program as part of my education at California College of Ayurveda. Mark Halpern is the founder and director of the school in addition to the author of the book. So he and the other faculty of that school, they created this program for their students to bring into their community. So that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so that's the book that we we should get. Yeah, I would start with that one. It focuses on the five senses Mm -hmm. uh, as the approach. So we haven't talked about these other aspects as much. We've talked a lot about food. That, of course, is the sense of taste. But there are other holistic therapies involving the other senses. A lot of people first hear about Ayurveda in the concept of massage and, and other types of body work. So that would be the sense of touch. And I don't personally offer those Ayurvedic body services myself. Because Abhyanga? A, Abhyanga, exactly, <laughs> which is a kind of massage that uses a lot of oil, often sesame oil. So it's really nourishing for your skin. And there's also Shiradhara, where the oil, warm oil, is poured onto your forehead. Like, and your, it's, like around your third eye area. Your third eye, exactly. And it's so and you, amazing. I had that in India, like maybe three times and I literally just like went away like just blanked out like but I had two girls working on me and this lasted I don't know probably like a long time because I was just like out (laughs) it was amazing yes and that's what it's designed to do because it's you know it's really for the mind we have all this excess motion in our mind and that's the vata dosha and so the shiradhara practice with the oil is incredibly calming it kind of puts you into a trance of deep relaxation and that place of deep relaxation is so healing for us you know so very much in ayurveda we're trying to activate the body's natural healing potential which is a very different approach than the approach of western medicine mm-hmm. The body can heal itself to an extraordinary degree, but we don't give it the chance to Yeah, because we're so busy running around. Mm. So you need those periods of deep relaxation. That's what you're going for when you do shavasana at the end of your yoga practice or when you do something like yoga nidra, which is yoga sleep. Yeah, I teach yoga nidra. I love it. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yes. So you know all about that then, of the, the value of deep relaxation. And Shiradhar is another way of, a very powerful way, I should say, of getting your body into that state of relaxation where that healing can occur. Yeah. So I'm glad you talked about, so you were saying, so then the, the, this program has, it goes into all the senses, the five senses and goes. That's right. We have aromatherapy for the sense of smell. We have color therapy for the sense of sight. And which one am I missing? Touch, taste, sight, smell, and sound. Sound healing is the other sound one. Sound healing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that is that that's really wow, like very wholeness, you know, very uh, whole practice. Exactly. Very so body, mind, spirit. Well, I'm an energy healer as well. So when mm-hmm. I'm working with people, I invite them to, depending on what's going on, to, you know, look at the colors that you're wearing, make it a practice maybe for the next couple of weeks to see, to notice what colors you're inviting into your space that you're wearing in your body. What are the the smells that you have around, the foods that you're eating? I mean, the company that you're keeping, the air that, you know, everything is the movies that you're watching, the music. I use sound healing when I'm doing Reiki energy healing. So, yeah, I think it's all so connected, you know, it's all so connected because and I and I see the changes. That's why I'm, I'm bringing this up, because I I see the changes with my clients and my people it's um just by observing these things the life that gets so much better the way that they want you know and in a way that we uh 
we have more control and that it's more equanimity, you know, and more balance and not like that you feel like your life is out of control or you're not having control and things are happening to you, which then becomes very stressful and it becomes very all over the place, you know, not contain that energy. And so when we start living in more of a holistic manner with all these things that you're mentioning and it, it just then all of a sudden you say, oh, you know what? I can heal myself and I can do these practices and I can somewhat have if I'm feeling to this, I can do this. I have all these toolboxes, you know, which is is so empowering for everyone. It really is. You know, Ayurveda is, like you said, it's empowering because these are things that you can do on your own and, you know, with the instruction of an Ayurveda practitioner. But after you've worked with the practitioner for a little while and you've brought these things into your life and you've made them part of your routine, then you'll have those forever, you know. And there are so many tools in the Ayurvedic toolbox that we just ran through. And of course, you can practice those outside of an Ayurvedic context as well, like aromatherapy and everything. But in Ayurveda, when we do them, we have the lens of the three doshas that we're looking at. So mm. there are, for each of the three doshas, there are scents that are good for balancing them. There are colors that are good for balancing them. You know, there are types of music that are good for balancing them. So wow. the same principles of the three doshas that we apply in food. They apply in all five of the of the senses as well. That is amazing. I mean, that's that's so cool. So I just wanted to, to share with you an experience that I had. I've done maybe a couple of seasonal cleanses, and one time, what I did is let me know if I'm pr- pronouncing this correct or how it is. Kitchari or kichari. Kitchery, yeah. Kitchery. I did kitchery for maybe, I, I don't remember exactly. It was like about a week, and we did kitchery for the first few days. And then and then it was, um, actually, no, it was like just certain vegetables that were season, in season for the first first day or second, and then into kitchery. And then we did, I ate only that for two, three days, which I found it really fantastic. And we'll tell everyone what, what that is, the kitchery. And then I, you know, and then kind of slowing back into regular eating other whole foods and other things. And in the in the process of doing that, every day I'd wake up and go to my bathroom and put this oil, the abhyanga, you know, I'd do it to myself and massage myself and do the oil and let the oil sink in. And then you drink the ghee in the morning, and the ghee is so good for your digestive system. And so this was, you know, then paying attention more to sleep. And then once that week completes, you feel so refreshed, and you feel like it's a you're starting again, you know. And one thing about I like about this, and that's why I'm bringing it up because I find these cleanses like that to be a lot more effective for me than for example to not eat or to only drink water or to only drink you know which there's so many cleanses out there and some of them feels to me a lot more harsh on your body I'm not a person that I like to do anything like that that harsh I kind of want things to feel more organic you know and I want to clear and cleanse in a more organic more kind of a way that makes more sense to me, to my body, to my digestive system. And that is something so great, you know, so simple. 
what is the kitchari like for for someone who's listening to this? It's used a lot in India, right? It is, yes. Kitchari is used in, in Ayurvedic cleansing in exactly the way that you just described. It's a dish that's made from mung beans and rice that's cooked for a long time, or you can cook it in a crock pot. That's how I like to do it for convenience's sake. So it's very easy to digest. Mung beans are unlike many other beans, they're very easy to digest, especially with the split the split yellow ones. So it's a food that is nourishing. It's got some protein in it. It's got some carbohydrates. And it's a complete nourishment for you, but it's very simple and easy for your body to digest. And when you do a kitchari cleanse like that, where you're eating nothing but kitchari for several days, it's kind of like rebooting your digestive system. Because on a when you're eating just your regular diet of, you know, pizza and burritos, you're throwing a lot of things at your digestive system that it really has to struggle with. And so it's like a vacation for your digestive system. Yeah, that's exactly how what it feels like. Like, mm-hmm. like my body's taking a vacation and it's just like, oh, this is so simple. You're just giving me this and it's really nice to digest and it's warm and it's clean and it's easy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know? And so a pure kitchari is just mung beans and rice, okay. but then you can also bring in some vegetables to it, which I like to do. Like, for example, zucchini I'll add to, to kitchari, sweet potatoes I like to add to kitchari. And in fact, if you look around at Ayurveda cookbooks or if you look online, you'll find that there are many, many recipes for kitchari. Yeah. The basic thing that they all have in common is it's a soft dish made from rice and mung beans, and it's well-spiced with Ayurvedic spices. Yeah. And then there'll be other things that they bring in. I really like it with coconut milk because it you makes do? it... Yes, and that's good for pitta dosha. I'll try that. Now that we're speaking, I'm feeling uh, motivated and <laughs> inspired to do one coming in maybe January. I don't know, January, February or something like that. But what about the ghee? Can you explain to us the importance of the ghee or why is it that some Ayurveda, you know, practitioner like yourself, like tell us to take the ghee in the morning with warm, what's up with the ghee? Talk, there's a lot of so, the ghee. Yes. Ayurveda loves ghee. It's just a oh, absolutely what is what is wonderful ghee? substance. So ghee know. is clarified yeah. butter. Clarified butter. So the cow, of course, is sacred in India, and cheese and dairy products are something that are a big part of the food there. Ghee is the most refined essence of dairy. So you take the milk, you make it into butter, and then you clarify the butter in a long process of cooking it and a low heat, and it removes all of the impurities. And so what you're left with is just this very pure form of butter that is free of free of, of milk proteins like casein. So mm-hmm. even people who don't tolerate casein or lactose, they can still have ghee. It's just a pure oil of, of milk, basically. And it's used in so many different ways in, in Ayurveda. Oil is a big thing in Ayurveda generally. So we have the Abhyanga practice. You mentioned you were doing that. You mm-hmm. were putting it on your body as part of your cleanse. So that's the external application. And then the internal application of the oil is that we we eat ghee in the mornings. You, you mix it with warm water, like you said. There are also medicated ghees that you can either make yourself or that you can buy that add herbs to the ghee for extra cleansing power. Mm. But it, it is cleansing. So in the sense, like, well, we have this thing in Ayurveda called ama, which is translated as toxin. 
And so it's like this kind of gunky stuff that builds up in your body as a result of poorly digested food. And we, when we're doing an Ayurvedic cleanse, the purpose is to get rid of this ama. And so the ghee, when you eat the ghee, it kind of goes out into your cells and it digests that ama, breaks it down, brings it back to the digestive system, and then allows your digestive system to eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, so it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Like if, and you can actually use it literally in this way for cleansing. You know, if you have like some kind of sticky, gluey substance, right? You can take ghee or you can take coconut oil and rub it on there. It works just like goo gone. It'll dissolve it and you can just wipe it away. So it's, that's what it's doing inside your body. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, well, I would just do, I just do my ghee like I warm it up by itself. You know, I always get really good one, like grass-fed, and then I just kind of take take that in the morning. Do you, I have a question for you. Do you start your day, how do you start your day? Do you have like your mor- morning ritual? Do you do ghee every day? Do you just kind of separate that for special times? or How does that work on a daily basis for you? I don't take ghee on a regular basis if I'm not doing a cleanse. No, okay. I would only that do that during a cleanse. Is but that the, the daily- normal? Is that for mm-hmm. everyone recommended or is just just a you thing? Like, how does that work? I would say that that's pretty standard. Yeah, yeah. the ghee is recommended for when you're doing a cleanse, but or it's changing, not... Ex- changing the season, something like that, you're doing a cleanse. Yeah, if you feel like you need a little extra, something extra, then the ghee is a great thing to do. But it's not recommended that you do it every day, 365 days a year. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of your my daily rituals. practice, you know, that's a big part of what we do in Ayurveda. It's, it's also something that I work on with my clients, teaching them about these things. So I wake up in the morning. The first thing that I do is I scrape my tongue. So a tongue scraper is like a little metal loop. Mm-hmm. You can buy them at, at all sorts of like holistic stores. And even you just a- even Amazon has it. You can get them on Amazon. You scrape your tongue and it removes that white buildup on your tongue. That's called ama. Mm-hmm. So that's one place where you can actually see the ama. It's right there on your tongue in the morning. You scrape that off. Then after that, I will brush my teeth, of course. That's not exactly an Ayurvedic thing, but it goes well <laughs> with the ritual. Uh, morning ritual goes well with the tongue scraping. Then I do the neti pot. So neti pot is another Ayurvedic practice. Some people call it nasal irrigation in English, but basically you are pouring warm saline water through your nasal passages. So it goes in one of your nostrils and then out the other side and it removes all of the mucus and dust and pollen and other allergens that you may have that may be in your nose so it just cleans out your nose gets rid of that old mucus i myself have allergies and struggled with allergies for years it's terrible you know kind of just sneezing and stuffy nose all the time um so neti pot was a huge revelation for me. I do it every day, sometimes even do it twice a day, just to make sure that I don't have those allergens in my nose. And then I will drink a big glass of lemon water. The lemon water I find is one of the most popular things that I tell my clients to do. You know, as soon as you wake up in the morning, drink a full glass of lemon water and then it's just great to put lemon in your water throughout the day. It's very cleansing. It helps to build your digestive fire. And then after I drink the water... Is the uh, water warm or room temperature? 
Either way, you definitely don't want it to be cold. Okay. Room temperature is fine, or you can splash a little bit of hot water into it. I'll often do that, especially in the wintertime. I heat the water for my for my neti pot. I've already boiled the water for that. So then I'll just pour a little splash of that boiling water into my glass of lemon water. And that way it's warm, but it's not hot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just mildly warm is kind of the best optimal temperature. Okay. And, you know, having a, a bowel movement in the morning after you drink your water is important we really focus a lot on elimination actually in Ayurveda. It's mm-hmm. if you're having if your elimination is healthy, that indicates that your digestive system is is working well and that you have a healthy digestive system. If you're not having healthy elimination, then that's a sure sign that something is going on in your digestive system that needs to be addressed. So we do consider that very important. And um, you know, everyone should be trying to have a bowel movement every morning, basically. Yeah, I mean, that makes, to me, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the digestive, you, you the, your digestive system is going to reflect how everything else is working. So Exactly. The digestive system is key. We always start with the digestive system. So when I have a, a client come and talk to me, we look at all aspects of their life, but we really start with the digestive system as the place of focus. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even necessarily realize that they have digestive symptoms going on because they've, they've gotten so used to it that they just think of that as normal. And they, what they realize are these other things, other symptoms that they're having, and they're not noticing how these things are actually being tied to their digestive system. So yeah. when you when you start with the digestive system and you clean that up, it can actually get other things to go away that you weren't even directly addressing. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. And um, what, uh, how, what does Ayurveda stand in terms of the meditations? Well, meditation, as I mentioned at the beginning, is part of that tripod of the yoga postures, the Ayurvedic health practices, and then meditation for that more subtle aspect the, the mental and spiritual aspect, it all goes together. Meditation is, is definitely recommended as part of the Ayurvedic lifestyle, in addition to pranayama, breathing practices. So I'll work with clients on selecting a breathing practice that's going to be appropriate for their doshas. If I have a client who has difficulty with getting to sleep, I'll often use pranayama as something for them to do right before they go to bed to bring some calmness to their mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, meditation, you can practice it first thing in the morning, or you can practice it in the evening before you go to bed. Those are probably the two most popular times to practice. Yeah, I I think meditation is so important. And and for everyone listening, the episode that I recorded right before this one, episode 42, is about a give and take 10 minutes guided meditation. It's very simple, but even just that, I sit for about 20 minutes you know, I try almost every day, but I think if you don't have the 20 minutes, whatever it is that you can do, whether it's five or 10, you know, do the best you can, but just sitting and breathing, it's so important. Even if you're having some, you know, if someone asks you a question or you have something you have to decide or you're feeling overwhelmed about just taking three deep breaths, you know, like take three deep breaths, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth, and then and then see if the answer, either the answer will come to you or you'll feel a lot more relaxed and better no matter what. <laughs> Breath is so powerful. 
It absolutely is. And it's so much a part of yoga. It's part of Ayurveda. I mentioned that we take those deep breaths before we eat and at the end of our meal. And of course, it's so central to meditation. So the breath really connects all three of those legs of the tripod. Yeah, so Anhi, I I have something here. Before we get into how people, I want to see how how can one schedule after all these amazing things you gave us, gifts you gave us in this episode of Life on Earth podcast, definitely schedule an interview with you. I'm sure people will want to reach out to you so that they can go deeper into this. But I'm reading something that you gave our training our teacher training at the studio and it says the four basic guidelines consume whole foods that are not processed avoid foods with pesticides eat local foods that are in season eat less so i just love that and i wanted to share that because it's so simple and you gave that you brought that to us to the training so (laughs) thank you for that Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like those for the same reason that, that they're just sort of simple yeah. general principles that are good for everyone. Yeah. So someone wants to go deeper into this, dive deep. You're here to guide us. How do we do this? How does it work? Yeah. So it's, we'll start with five weekly sessions. The first session will be a sort of in-depth interview where I'll go through a lot of questions about your health your digestive health, your mental health, all different aspects, your energy level, your sleep, to really understand what's going on with you. Then you come back for the second visit. We call that the report of findings. So in the report of findings, I would explain what we found out in terms of your your doshas. You know, which doshas do we think are out of balance? What we think your prakriti is? And then we'll start the the treatment regimen at that point. So I'll just recommend one or two things at the report of findings. And then over the next several weeks, that treatment program that I've written up that's mm-hmm. individualized for that person will unfold week by week, each week adding just one or two little practices for you to work on that week. And it is cumulative so that you're you're adding those things, but you're continuing to do the the things from the previous weeks. And so I really like people to commit to coming for at least five sessions. And in five sessions, you can, you know, that gives you enough time that you can lay a really nice foundation. And then after the five sessions, I would encourage people to continue to come. They might want to change the schedule. So instead of coming every week, they might come bi-weekly or monthly. And just to kind of continue to check in and make sure that they are staying on the path of of Ayurveda. Yeah, staying on track and then having your guidance there. You are an expert. And so and then life happens, things also change. And then to have that kind of light from you coming, it's really helpful. You know, it's a it's something that I think it's a gift that everyone can give to yourself is to look at your life and look at your habits and look at your surroundings, your environment, the foods that you eat and, and have someone like you like guiding people through it. That's what a blessing, you know, it's a really cool thing. It is. And also to have a sense of forgiveness for yourself, because like you said, life happens. Nobody is able to stick to their Ayurvedic regimen perfectly. And that includes myself. You know, there's, yeah. there's no perfect Ayurvedan. So it's not about perfection. It's about doing little things that are going to bring you more health and balance and wellness in your life. And it's not dogmatic at all. It's very practical. And 
you know, I really work hard to make it accessible to to the people who come and see me. Well, that's that sounds amazing. So, but you and you said five sessions. So the first, you so you said five sessions. Can those be done online, like via Skype? Yes, it is ideal if the person, if they're local, if they can come in for that initial assessment in person, it's mm-hmm. it's better. But Skype is, you know, we live in, in the modern era of the electronic age. And I do use Skype for, especially with a video, it's nice. Yeah. Um, so you can absolutely do a, do sessions over Skype. And for people who don't live locally but want to do Ayurvedic consultations with me, that's a great way to do it. Yeah, and if you, uh, or otherwise you could do like the first one if you're local in person. And then if you wanted to do Skype video after, you could do that as well. Absolutely. And that's, um, so you said five. That's kind of what you recommend in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's a rule of thumb. But it, you need to have at least five sessions before you really will start to see any, well, I don't want to say before you see any benefit, but because the benefits can start sooner than that. But Ayurveda is, it's a slow process. It's not like, okay, I'm going to take this herb and I'm immediately going to start feeling better. You know, well, yeah, it's, because, because it's not a Band-Aid. It's not like, hey, put this here, like what's so right. much of Western. I mean, we need, don't get me wrong, I, I feel like we need both. You know, but it's not that kind of thing. It's like let's look at the underlining and let's how can we change this for longevity? It's exactly. a long process. That's right. You're trying to make long term changes in your lifestyle that are gonna bring about wellness. So that's not something you do overnight. And so that's why I recommend a minimum of five weeks to really give it a try, you know, for that amount of time. And you will start to see benefits sooner than that if you're starting, if you're really doing the practices. But that gives you enough time to really kind of get why this is valuable and important. Okay, so step one is just first consultation with you. That's right. And you can reach me. My email address is crescentcityayurveda at gmail.com. I also have a website, crescentcityayurveda.com so that's a good way to find out more about me and to contact me those are the two best places to go to schedule consultations or to find out what you're doing in terms of uh, the cooking classes and any other offerings that you have that's right I have uh, an email list that you can sign up for on the website there's also a blog I haven't actually been very active on the blog lately because of planning for the wedding that's coming up (laughs) Um, but I will be bringing that back soon and there are some nice posts on there from earlier this year with different recipes of fish that we did during Lent. Lent is a big part of the culture here in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and eating fish during Lent so we we did a bunch of Ayurvedic fish recipes uh, that you can find on my blog. We also sell our Creole seasoning so when we were first getting this started, my fiance was using a lot of one of the commercially available Creole seasoning blends mm-hmm. here in New Orleans. It's popular and it's very tasty, but it's not very healthy. You know, it has a lot of salt in it. It also has MSG in it and it's not organic at all. So I was like, we're eating a lot of this. I don't think this is really healthy. And she has this chronic condition. So I really wanted her to have something that would let her have the taste of it without the, you know, that was more healthy. So I went to our local food co-op. I bought all of these organic spices in bulk and we 
taste tested together, tweaking the recipe, getting the ratios of all the herbs and spices just right to create a, a healthy, organic Creole seasoning blend. We call it love seasoning because it came out of our love together, bringing together the Ayurvedic sensibilities of organic food that's healthy and the, the Creole tradition of seasoning. So we call it our, our love seasoning and you can get it on our website. That's wonderful. Well, what about Instagram? Are you on Instagram? I'm not on Instagram, okay. no. We are on Facebook. No, so there's a Crescent City Ayurvedic Facebook page, and you're welcome to check that out as well. Well, we'll include this on the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for joining the show. I feel we just shared a lot of information. I invite the listeners to even re-listen to the episode two, three times, whatever it is that you need to. It's a lot of new information, especially if you are someone that have never heard of these concepts before. And Ani, thank you for your time and your uh, all of your knowledge. I love everything that you're doing, and I hope that we continue to connect. I definitely want to have you back in the spring 2019 for the trainings. And yeah, I hope to see you around soon. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. And so thank you for inviting me. And I hope to hear from, from some of your listeners through my email. Thank you. Well, have a wonderful day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Namaste, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed Anri. Go ahead and book your session and start your Ayurveda practice. I highly encourage that you do that. Get the books. We'll include them on the show notes. And um, yeah, so have an amazing 2019. Hopefully, I'll be talking to you again very soon here on Life on Earth podcast. Did you like the show? Do you like this episode? Um, help us out. Share this with your friends. Share this with your family or anyone else that you can send this to that you feel that it will enhance their life. So it's very easy. There's a button. You just scroll down. You click share and you can text message it or you can email it. And that would be lovely. Also, if you can go on iTunes and rate us, give us a five-star review. I have so appreciated this way we can continue to create high content and this will encourage our show to continue to flourish and grow as it has been. It has been a pleasure to be with you all. 2018 has been a fantastic year, also a year of a lot of growth, a lot of different opportunities, a lot of um, things changing in the air. And, you know, sometimes we just have to pay attention to to the energies and the changes and the shifts and see what is it that's now supporting us and what is not and then kind of going with the flow of what comes into your life. So I appreciate you. I believe in you. And remember, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. So it's all good. It's all fantastic. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful day. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to Life on Earth. You can help us by taking a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. For more inspiring content, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Search Life on Earth in iTunes or visit lifeonearth.podbean.com.